Welcome to the 55th episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicle sports columnist Scott Osler. Scott and I are in LA for the Warriors' first round series against the Clippers. On Friday afternoon, we caught up about Kevin Durant's big game three, the center rotation post to Marcus Cousins, why this series is the Clippers' audition for free agents, and much, much more. We'll have our conversation right after the break. Scott Osler and I chatted in Scott's hotel room on Friday afternoon, a little more than 12 hours after the Warriors were at a 38-point gym from Kevin Durant to a convincing win over the Clippers in Game 3. To kick things off, I asked Scott about his biggest takeaway from a series in which Golden State leads 2-1. The biggest takeaway has been the whole Durant scene, the whole drama surrounding Durant, because uh, I don't think it's over because of one game. He had one fantastic game. It was a, a breakthrough game after his previous couple games where he wasn't shooting, and in recent weeks, basically, where he's kind of been on a, okay, I'll show you, I'll just pass the ball, I'm not going to shoot anymore, and nobody can figure out what is go- what's going on. I've talked to a couple of people around the league. They say, what is the deal with Durant? Well, what's going on? And, and, and so he busted out of it last night, but that whole, that whole thing is going to be an ongoing drama, I think. Yeah, so to kind of fill in the listener, I'm sure you guys have all been paying attention, but after Game 2, Game 2 was a weird game because – Durant only attempted eight shots. Keep in mind, this is a guy who, over the course of his career, has averaged around 19 shots per game. He only attempted eight shots. He had more turnovers than shots. He had nine turnovers, a lot of which were off offensive fouls against Beverly, who was you know, almost a foot shorter than him, but obviously bothering him a lot. Uh, Durant had a really detailed explanation for, for his reasoning for not attempting so many shots and was downright obstinate when told that Kerr had publicly encouraged him to take 20 to 30 shots in the next game. Durant said, you know, I'm Kevin Durant. Y'all know who I am. Basically saying, you know, don't question me. I'm a Hall of Fame player. I'm one of the greatest scorers of all time. I know what I'm doing. Um, and that's not my game. I'm, my game isn't necessarily to to decide b- beforehand to go out and shoot 30 shots. And then yeah. and what, then, ha- what but, happens? But then and you made it worse because the next day you ask her, did you guys basically sit down and talk? Or do you think it, it's your place to sit down and talk to him? And Kerr momentarily exploded on you and he kind of got mad. But then he kind of played it off like he was kidding. So it was a, it was a, a weird scene. Uh, I, I talked to some people in the organization about that today, and they basically said, you know, don't take it personally. Yeah. He's just – it's a sensitive topic, and I, I totally understand yeah. that. I, I don't think Steve's mad at me. I, I don't <laughs> think there's anything like that. I just think there's so much scrutiny on this team, and right now there's a lot of scrutiny focused on his dynamic with Durant. You know, there this there's been a lot – I don't want to say a lot, but there's been probably a handful of times this season where Durant has either subtly or obviously thrown Steve under the bus or or publicly disagreed with him and been just straight up obstinate and about his head coach. And yeah. well, listen, you got to wonder if that is an issue kind of simmering under the surface this season. Yeah, let's psychoanalyze this just a tiny bit. So after last night's game, huge, huge night for Durant right from the start, came out smoking, was phenomenal was everything Kevin Durant could be and afterwards when he was asked you know what what was the difference what happened he said well coach called some plays for me right from the start so what's your take on that is that him saying all right 
I, I appreciate that, that Coach Kerr called some plays for me to kind of get me going early to kind of get me in the shooting groove and everything. Or was that him saying, yeah, okay, now it's all about the coach. And, and I, I, I don't know how to read that. I really don't. What's your take on that? Well, keep in mind, he, he says that pretty soon after Kerr tells everyone, oh, I, we, I didn't do anything. It was just <laughs> it was just a change in mindset. He was just more aggressive. And, and for whatever reason – Durant doesn't seem to like the narrative of, you know, he him feeling like he needed to do anything. <laughs> you know, he needed to get more shots up. He 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 wants everyone to know that he is doing what the game dictates and what his coach dictates, not what he personally feels. Yeah. Um and I think that's very important to him. Kerr came back today and said, well, you know, I, I did tweak some things. That's probably what he was referring to. I did, you know, make a couple of adjustments to find him his spots. And Curry kind of reiterated that last night that there were some minor adjustments. But um, I, I, I'm, I lean toward believing Kerr's initial statement, which was that Durant was just more aggressive because he came out opening possession, hit, knocked down an elbow, 18-foot jumper, and from there on was was really commanding the offense. He had, he made his six first shots, had 27 points at halftime, and was Durant at his best, um, really leading them to that big cushion and then was able to sit for the entire fourth quarter. Yeah, and tell me what you think about this, Connor, but to me, that game last night against – admittedly an overmatched opponent, not a great opponent, uh, although a playoff team. To me, that was the kind of game that the Warriors were hoping that they would get from Durant all the time when they got him. In other words, he got all, almost all of his points, basically all his points in the flow of the offense. It was moving, there was a cutting, there was flow to it. It wasn't one of those deals where, okay, two passes, and then dump it into Durant, and he takes 12 dribbles and, and fires up a fall away. And everything comes to a standstill if everybody watches him. I, I thought it was done in the flow, and it was really, uh, you know, it was beautiful basketball. It wasn't just one-on-one -on -one stuff. Yeah, a lot of times it feels like when Durant has a big game, the Warriors kind of need to sacrifice what they do well and kind of just feed him for isolation situations. That was definitely not the case last night. He was getting his shot in the flow of the offense. They were moving the ball. They, when Durant wasn't knocking down shots – other guys were getting open looks. He found he found Clay for several easy shots, including that big dunk. He he found Kavan for a bunch of open looks. He he knocked down two mid range jumpers jumpers, which we're not used to seeing from Kavan. He also had several dunks. So uh, I think offensively, that's exactly what the Warriors want to be doing. They had thirty five assists. Anytime they're over thirty, they're feeling good about themselves. They had a bunch of passes um, and. The the Clippers, who defensively had given the Warriors so much trouble in the second half of game two with that, what the Warriors call a gimmick defense, basically where they overguard the perimeter and try to prevent three-pointers and threaten the double or triple team on Durant, that did not seem to be much of an issue last night. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing worked really well, and, and now, now we have to wait and see if that works against the Clippers for two more wins and then how that carries over into the – the next series, assuming the Warriors get past this series. Definitely. Um, and did, from your perspective, did game two kind of feel like 
a turning point, not just in this series, but potentially in this postseason for the Warriors? Yeah, because, uh, you know, we, everybody talks about wake-up calls and, and turning points and stuff like that. But to me, that, wasn't more than, that was more than a loss. That was more than a loss to an opponent you should never lose to. That was a, like a disastrous meltdown. That was embarrassing. That was, I think that was the, the, maybe the big takeaway uh, for the Warriors. They were, they were embarrassed by that game. They were, they were humiliated. You can't, you can't blow a lead that big, you know. Everybody in the NBA, everybody blows leads. Every night you pick up the, the, the newspaper and you read that so-and-so won after coming back from 26 points behind. Around. But a 31-point lead against a bad team in the playoffs, that doesn't happen. And that was, and I think, once to, as we get towards the end of the playoffs and if they make the finals and then win the championship, that's going to be seen as a turning point, that game two, where they just just blew that game out their armpits. Yeah, and I mean, I mean <laughs> that that was just one of the most stunning games I've ever covered. And I I'm not looking for sympathy from the listener, but that was one of those nights where early in the game I turned to to Mark Medina from the Mercury News who sits next to me and I said, Oh, tonight's gonna be an easy night. You know, I'm gonna write most of my story during the third quarter so you're, the, you're the guy that jinxed it for us yeah all. pretty much um i had this whole whole narrative ready to go um and then what happens you know the the clippers come back from down 31 ended up being one of the most stressful deadline situations of my life uh was able to file in time we had the game ended at i want to say 1028 and the in my my deadline was 1030 <laughs> and so i had to somehow make sense out of that game within two months with it within two minutes of the final buzzer hopefully i did that uh the reader can be the judge of that anyone who p- picked up the print edition of the chronicle the next day um but the 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 one of one of the other big takeaways from that game and you know it's a a crazy game when losing to Marcus Cousins for the rest of the postseason likely is not the biggest storyline uh obviously the historic nature of that collapse was but what we saw last night was the first full game post DeMarcus Cousins you saw the center rotation you saw Andrew Bogut starting Kevon Looney getting the lion's share of minutes off the bench in that spot what were your thoughts on how that group was able to come together in the wake of a horrific injury to DeMarcus? Uh, one thing, and, and I don't want to be insensitive or cruel to DeMarcus Cousins or anything like that, because he it was a really gutty comeback from that Achilles injury, and he worked really hard, and he really wanted to fit in, and he was a good teammate by all accounts, and the, the guys enjoyed having him around. But my sense is that, well, he had some really good games, and he made some contributions, and he helped him in some ways that it still wasn't a perfect fit. DeMarcus Cousins with the Warriors wasn't a perfect fit. They were working it out, and they, they would have kept working it out, and they would have kept working on it. But he may have, may have been used less and less as the playoffs went on. And uh, I guess this is a long way of saying that in some ways, I don't want to overstate it, but in some ways they might be better off with the group they have now because Bogut certainly is fit and ready to play, and uh, Kevon Looney is looks great in backup role. So, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to say, Oh, too bad. See you, DeMarcus. We didn't need you. But, uh, in some ways that, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Right. 
I do think there's such a thing as having too many offensive options. Yeah. And I think that's what you saw at times with DeMarcus. When you have a score of that caliber in the low post, you it's on you as, as Steve Kerr to find ways to get him involved, to, to find him in his spots, to draw plays for him. But in doing that, you're kind of taking you're taking away some of what Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry do. And I think what you saw last night was, I don't want to say a relief, but there was definitely some sort of satisfaction of getting back to what they're most comfortable with. You know, the blueprint that they leaned on to really to win their last two NBA titles because they didn't have really this entire run. They haven't had a go-to big man. They haven't really had a go-to big man before Cousins since maybe what Joe Joel Barry Joe Barry Carroll, yeah, um, which is way before my time, um, and so I, I also think that this series was not a great matchup for Demarcus, and it was it was almost a little awkward because it was his first ever postseason. There was obviously a lot of hype around that, a lot of excitement around that storyline. And he goes out in game one and really struggles because the Clippers don't really have a prototypical seven foot center who plays big minutes. They have, they start Lavaca Zubak who is solid, but he's not near the player that Montrez Harrell is. So, you know, what doc rivers has been doing understandably is starting Zubak, but bringing, bringing Harrell off the bench and playing him the lion's share of minutes at, at center and Cousins is not a good matchup for Harrell. He he's not quick enough um, defensively. He was getting exploited on pick and rolls, and uh, it, you almost felt a little bad for him in Game One. Obviously, you feel way worse for him in Game Two when he four minutes into that game goes down with that quad injury. But the reality is, this is a better matchup for Kavon Looney, and Kavon has been downright phenomenal. Doesn't he, to me, he looks really comfortable out there. You tell me what you think, but he, he looks like he feels right at home with these guys. He, um, yeah, he, I don't, like when he, anytime a guy goes to the hoop, anytime a guy, staff or anybody else drives to the hoop, Kavan is, is, finds his little niche there. He finds a little area where he can, where they can dump off to him. He gets in the right position. He's got really good hands. Um, you've seen guys in the past where, you know, they'll dump it off to him, a guy inside, and they'll, they'll fumble it. And But he just seems very sure, and, and he seems almost calm out there. Like he's not he's not panicked, he's not worried, and I, I think that's been impressive. I I think that if you're not – if you didn't appreciate Kavon before this series, you're probably starting to appreciate him because he's a guy who obviously is not going to wow you. He's not – He's not nothing he does is sensational. Um, he's not going to have those highlight worthy plays. But what he does is his best basketball skills. He doesn't make mistakes. He is only 23, but he kind of has that old school savvy veteran type game. He understands angles. He knows how to switch off a ball screen and pick up a guard. Uh, he is really good at boxing out. He's really good at crashing the offensive glass. You know, he just does all the little things. He's good at setting screens. And one, th- I was, I wrote about Kavon today, and it, some of these numbers are are very impressive. Just looking at what he's done through three games in this series, he's totaled thirty five points on eighty two point one percent shooting, 
11 rebounds, two blocks, two steals, and a plus 42 in 53 minutes, all while committing just one turnover. <laughs> He's doing all that while being the best defensive option on Harrell and also repeatedly switching off ball screens to pick up Lou Williams. Yeah. So he's doing it all. And kind of going down the analytics rabbit hole a little bit today while working on this story, I, I stumbled upon a, a stat that really blew my mind. According to NBA.com, the Warriors outscored opponents by a team-best 31.3 net rating with Looney on the floor during the regular season. That number plummeted to a minus 1.6 without him. A team best, 31.3. Now, to to put that in perspective, I believe they were like a, a plus 19.4 or something like that with Curry. Yeah. So now I don't want to you don't want to read too much into that because a lot of this stuff is dependent on who else is on the floor with them and that sort of thing. But regardless, I think it just kind of underscores his value to this team. Plus, he's breaking out a little bit of a like a a face-up 17-foot jumper when they leave him wide open. And I, and I know the mid-range, mid-range jumper is, is now passe. It's, uh, nobody shoots it. But occasionally, when you get stuck and things bog down and a guy like Looney gets the ball out near the, the free-throw line and can turn around and just stick a little 15-foot jumper, that can come in handy. He had a couple of those last night. Yeah, no, I mean, that is a nice little tool because the reality of the situation is that when Kavon's out on the floor – the Clippers aren't really going to be paying attention to him. And they'll give him that mid-range jumper all day, every day. And if he can hit it, you know, that's just a, that's, that's free points for the Warriors. So that, that's a nice little, that's a nice little wrinkle to what the Warriors do. You've seen Kavan hit that shot a couple times this season, but definitely not often. And for him to have the balls to, to bring out that, that jumper, during a playoff game, I think says a lot about his confidence and where he feels, uh, how he feels about himself. And, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about Kavan, but Andrew Bogut, I think has been great. Yeah. In, in, I did not cover this team. Uh, the last time Andrew Bogut was on the Warriors, I started covering them right after he was traded, right after they signed Durant. So I'm, I, I followed the team a little bit from afar. I was familiar with how he, how he did, where he was at physically, but is it fair to say that he's actually better right now than he was last time he was with the Warriors? I think it is fair. For one thing, I think not that, not that he was in bad shape then, because I remember at one point in his last season with the Lakers, I mean with the Warriors, he went on a, uh, a diet. He went on a no-sugar regimen, and he lost a bunch of weight, and he got gained energy and stuff like that. So he's never been a big slug or anything like that. But um, he went down to when he played in uh, Australia – I guess he he kind of leaned out. He got he got leaner. He got a little quicker, I think. And I think and also there's he plays with I think a higher appreciation of the game and a higher appreciation of the team he's playing with. And and you know it's weird because where I usually sit at a game is like halfway up the arena. And so uh, you, the, imagine the perspective from halfway up in an arena. Last night I was kind of low down just off the floor. And what struck me is how springy Bogut was. It's kind of surprised me a little bit. Maybe he's always been like that, and I never noticed because I was at a different angle. But seeing that close up, seeing, you know, he gets off the floor pretty well. Not He's not a gigantic leaper, but he, he, he got off the floor. He did a lot of tipping, a lot of rebounding. And also, from that close up, you just see what amount of space he takes up. He's a big dude, and he, he uses that size, and he's a big presence in there. I think this... This this is one of those examples of 
the whole light years thing of the Warriors being five steps ahead. I mean, obviously they already had a relationship with Bogut, but a lot of people forgot that Bogut was even still playing basketball. A lot of people thought he would completely retired from the game. And for them to have the, have the insight and foresight to go out to send Larry Harris, assistant GM, the same guy who drafted Bogut number one overall with Milwaukee back in the day to have him go out and scout him and talk to him about the possibility of coming back uh, is, is really, really smart because I think a lot of teams in that situation would have just gone with the best available guy in the league. You know, someone maybe who had just been bought out or waived. Obviously there was talk about them wanting Robin Lopez. There wasn't really an obvious other option, but I'm sure they could have found someone, but I don't think anyone who could have transitioned to the Warriors as seamlessly as Bogut because I mean, the timing to me is just unbelievable how well it worked out. Life is all timing, right? Right. And this is the ultimate example of that because he had just finished his season in Australia. He finished his season in Australia in late February. And that season was 30 games spread out over five months, which is perfect because it keeps him in shape, but it doesn't wear him out. So he's in game shape, but he's not, he doesn't feel the toll of an 82 game season. And in what you've seen from him, since he's gotten to the Warriors, his fresh legs, obviously, as you touched upon, enthusiasm. He said when he signed that he'd be totally fine just waving the towel on the sideline. And here he is starting playoff games, potentially will be starting in the NBA Finals. Like, how surreal of an experience does that have to be for him? Yeah, you know, when they picked him up, I think I was like everybody else. I thought, oh, yeah, it's nice. It'll be interesting. It'd be fun to have Andrew Bogut back here. He's a good quote and he's a charming guy to have around, but to I don't think anybody thought he was going to come back and actually be this this strong and this fit and 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 fit back in as quickly and Kerr talked about it yesterday and we knew this but it's not a secret but Kerr ta- elaborated on it uh, about this guy's IQ his basketball IQ and he came back and he it's basically the same system that they were running when he left but there are some important wrinkles one of them being Kevin Durant is now in the offense and so there's a relearning process and from what Kerr said, Bogut just picks things up instantly. You know, they tell him, okay, this is what we do with, with Kevin Durant. And, okay, I got it immediately. And it, it looks like he, he never left. It's just, it, it is, like you said, it's great timing. It was great uh, thinking and planning to go down there and, and, uh, and, and pick him up. And it's, it's, it's going to, assuming it works out and continues, it's going to be a phenomenal story. Yeah, not to get ahead of ourselves, but it kind of makes you wonder if he could come back next season. Because I know, I know the the talk had always been he's gonna he's going to, you know, honor his the, the second year of his contract in Australia. He's gonna play with the Australian national team this summer after the after a potential finals run. So he's gonna go back to Australia, play another season with them, and and call it a career. But if I'm if I'm the Warriors right now, I'm I'm thinking you you have another probably at least another year or two left in you. I mean you're 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 extremely helpful right now. Um, and given their center situation, their only center right now under contract for next season is Damian Jones and they don't have any money. And so if you could just bring back Bogut on another minimum deal with zero expectation, that is a, that would be a smart move in a lot of ways. Even if he was really set on, you know, honoring his contract in Australia you could work out a situation where, hey, let's just do the same thing. We'll leave that 15th spot open. You'll come back. You'll help us 
in whatever capacity we need you for the playoffs and just do it one more year. I mean, I, I know they're not thinking about that right now, but seeing how spry he is and how helpful he is, you can't help but think about that as a possibility. Not only that, but because the guy he is and because how smart he is, he there's going to be a, a significant turnover with the Warriors next year. It won't be on this exact same roster. You have a lot of guys coming in, and to have a guy like him who knows the system so well and can work with other people, I think that would help the transition of new guys. Yeah. I mean, I I think he'd be a great coach. Um, you know, he uh, – an assistant or, or something, maybe the next Jaron Collins, because he, he has such a good way about him. He's self-deprecating. He's easygoing. And I didn't know him, you know, obviously earlier in his career, but talking to him and talking to people around him, he's – he's kind of changed his mindset in that I think earlier in his career, he let a lot of things get to him. He, I think was really upset and jaded by the NBA and how fake a lot of people are and the broken promises. And, you know, I think he, he's felt, he's felt kind of lied to at times in his career. And I think he got pretty cynical and negative toward the end of his time last time around with the Warriors. But since then, he's had two kids. He's been through some stuff personally. His his grandfather, who is or sorry, his uncle, who he was very close with, passed away. His uh, his wife had a high risk pregnancy, and they they thought she might not make it at one point. So he's been through some real stuff, and I think he has perspective on life. And he's come into this situation, and he hasn't been bothered by anything, you know, because. From his perspective, this is all icing on the cake. And I think having that outlook has been a positive thing in a locker room that is trying to chase a three-peat. Yeah. And plus, remember, he goes back to the Mark Jackson era, and he didn't really get along with Mark Jackson that well, I don't think. That's an understatement. I think he hated Mark Jackson. I think he will tell you that he cannot stand Mark Jackson. Um, I think he thought Mark Jackson was a fraud and fake and all those all the adjectives that go along with that. <laughs> yeah. But not only on, on a personal level, but stylistically in, in basketball, you know, he traded in Mark Jackson, who he didn't get along with at all. And who ran a system that was kind of outmoded in a lot of ways for Steve Kerr, who I think has a tendency to make a better connection with his players. And not only that, but brought in a great offense, which is Bogut centric and, and is much better and is probably a lot more fun to play in. One kind of interesting thing that happened today, uh, the Warriors did not have practice today, but Steve did talk to media this this morning at the team hotel. And anyone who knows Steve knows that he hates talking about free agency. He t- hates talking about personnel moves. That's not really his job. Whenever a reporter asks him about that, he always says, you should ask Bob Myers that because that's Bob's job. But um, he went out of his way today to campaign or, or lobby for – the team to sign Kamal Looney long-term. He said, I'm really, really hoping that we can get him long-term and we can give him the contract that he deserves so he can make some good money and we can enjoy having him on our team for many years. That's the plan. And here we are a couple, you know, several months away from free agency and he's already saying that. Now the Warriors do have the bird rights for Kavan. And I apologize for my tweet yesterday. I, I tweeted something about how Kavan was – potentially playing himself out of the Warriors price range. I had completely forgotten in that moment that the Warriors do have his bird rights. So that means that they can, they can give him 
his market value, even though, you know, they don't, even though they're going to be capped out, they, they, if they're willing to go into the luxury, deeper into the luxury tax, they can give him whatever he, he is worth. And the way he's playing right now, if he can keep this up, I know he's a role guy, but you got to think he's, he can command somewhere in the what, five to six million dollar range. He's making 1.6 right now. He's in line to probably quadruple his salary. And if I'm the Warriors, I'd love to have him for five, six million dollars. This is a guy who's 23 years old, you know, knows the system. And I think he can be a real building block. I actually think that he's a guy when there is that inevitable roster turnover, he can be a guy who is your a top six, seven guy on the roster. And that was a big deal that, that Kerr said that today because some coaches would kind of do that routinely. Oh, we'd love to have this guy back, sign him up. You know? But Kerr doesn't do that. And the fact that he would do that, if, you know, if Steve Kerr likes you enough to do that, man, sign the guy up. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and if I'm the Warriors, and we've talked a lot about their center situation, they could do a lot worse than starting Kevon Looney at center. You could do a lot worse. Yeah. I think I think Kevon Looney – is proven that he's a legitimate rotation guy on any team in this league. And you can play him starters minutes, whether or not he's coming on the, off the bench or not, and feel confident from about what you're going to get from him because he just, he does not make mistakes and he does the little things. And as long as the Warriors have Steph and clay, which I, I think they will for a long time, they don't need major offensive production out of that center position. They just need to have him gain about 50 pounds so he can hold his own against the, the gigantic guys. But of course, that's not going to happen. But uh, he, he fits in so well. And then that center right now, I don't know what it's going to be next year, but right now, center is obviously their weak position. And they're, and to have a guy like that come in and be extremely competent, man, that just that makes him really solid. So one thing we haven't talked about, and you wrote about today, and I found it really interesting, is one Probably the most important aspect of this series, honestly, is that it is the Clippers' audition for free agents, namely a guy named Kevin Durant. Um, this is the Clippers' chance to tell the Kawhi Leonard's and Kevin Durant's of the world, hey, we have something cool here, and you can come here and be the face of this franchise and understand that we have enough pieces here where – if you we just add one more superstar level guy, we can go from being a good team to a contending team. And especially given the fact that you have some pieces locked up long term. Harold, I think, has proven that he is, you know, one of the better big men in the league. Lou Williams, I think you can make the case he's the best six man ever, which is saying a lot, but I think he he's in that conversation. He's probably gonna win his third career six man of the year award this year. Um, and you have one of the best coaches in the league in doc rivers and you play in LA and we all know LA. We all know NBA players love LA. Um, what do you think the chances are of Durant coming to the Clippers? Cause I know they haven't really been talked about. It's been all about New York, but do you think he could surprise some people and come to the Clippers? Yeah, I definitely think that. And we were talking earlier, but there's a lot of factors. One, one factor is that he, Durant likes L.A. He trains here in the offseason. Uh, they have enough money to pay him. Uh, he, he just likes the place. And New York isn't the only place in the world. New, New York is very attractive, and a lot of players would love to play there. There's a glamour about it. But there's also a glamour about L.A. And 
usually that's been around the Lakers, but now the Clippers are, are kind of gaining some steam on that. And it seems to me like in the last few years, ever since they took Doc Rivers, they they made him strictly a coach and not a general manager, and they kind of changed the front office around, and and um, Jerry West has become more of an, uh, kind of an influence down there. They've made some really I, – I think they're seeing it as a team on the rise. They're making smart moves. They're making smart trades. They got rid of Blake Griffin. They got rid of Chris Paul. And those are great players and still somewhat uh, very uh, almost borderline superstar players. But they got a lot of really good young stuff in return for them. And so I, I think they're seen as a, a team on the rise. And I think a, a guy like Durant would definitely look down here. You know, you had Doc Rivers as a coach. Everybody loves Doc. He, he would be a really good guy to play for, I would think, and, play, and players like him. That's another factor. And I, I just think that Durant, when it comes time to, to weigh all his options, He's not going to look at every team in the league. He's going to narrow it down, and I think the Clippers would be on his short list. I also think that he would like the idea of playing on the other L.A. team in that he would like sharing an arena with LeBron James but not playing with LeBron James because we all know that there's definitely a dynamic there between LeBron and KD, and I think in his heart of hearts, KD believes that he's the greatest player in the world. And I think he would love the opportunity to come to LA and say, Hey, LeBron, you can't even make the playoffs. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to take this Clippers team and I'm going to make the finals. I'm going to win a title. So it would kind of be an opportunity for him to submit hit or elevate his status in the public's eyes ahead of LeBron, um, which I think, is something that he would think about if he's seriously considering the Clippers. I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't been more talk about LeBron coming to the Clippers because I think in a lot of ways they make even more sense than the Knicks. I understand why people are saying the Knicks, but I think that he could come here next year and and take them to the finals, which I'm not sure he could do in New York, yeah. even with Kyrie. And it just, yeah, it makes sense in so many ways. Uh, Kevin Durant is such a confident guy, and I believe he thinks he can, to, could walk into this town. He could make a difference. He could take over. He could. Um, I, I think there's still the feeling that in in Golden State that he's still second fiddle to Steph, and he always will be. And he's a sensitive guy, and, and there are a lot of people who think that he he feels that way. Not that Steph is a jerk or trying to overshadow him or anything, but Steph by just being Steph and his wonderfulness kind of will always be the big story and be the big hero in town. And, and Kevin would like to go to a place where he would be the hero, not, not because he's a, a glory guy, but just because he wants to be recognized, I guess, as wants to be recognized for what he truly is. He obviously what he, what he said to us in the last few days, he knows who he is. I'm Kevin Durant. And that's a guy who doesn't want to be just another player on, on a team. And, and down here with the Clippers, that that's what he would be. He would be yeah. a big guy, huge I mean, guy. That that that's kind of the unique thing about this situation is they're, you know, a playoff level team that has zero superstars. I mean, there would be zero question he would come and it would be Kevin Durant's team. I mean, I don't think he has to worry too much about Lou Williams still in the spotlight. Lou Williams very good, but he is not in the same stratosphere as Kevin Durant. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's, 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 it's worth looking at. And then, honestly, there's part of me that feels that because there's so much talk and discussion and written about him going to New York, knowing Kevin a little bit, 
I feel like he would love the opportunity to say, you guys all thought I was going to York. Yeah, it's just what you guys know. I'm going to the Clippers. You know, I, I, I just I could totally see him doing that. Yeah. Not only that, but, you know, since he's he talked a couple years ago, I did an interview with him and he talked about how much he's gone to school with the Warriors in terms of wanting to eventually be, become an NBA team owner. He studied Joe Lacob. He studied Bob Myers, studied Rick Wells. He studies the way the team is run. And so I think he's gained an appreciation for the importance of how well an NBA team is run. And when he starts shopping around, if he's objective, he's going to look at New York and he's going to see that that is not the role model for, for the way an organization should be run in the NBA. Whereas the Clippers, maybe not, not number one on the list of the greatest organizations, maybe the Warriors are still number one on that, but the Clippers aren't far behind. They're very progressive. They're very uh, smart, intelligent. They don't do a lot of stupid things. And uh, I think that would really be high on his list. Yeah, no, and like I said, I think that that storyline honestly could end up being the most important storyline to come out of this series. If if he does end up signing with the Clippers this summer, everyone's going to look at this series and and everyone's going to be analyzing, "Oh, did was he, was he's just so impressed by what he saw in that series and was that the moment that he said, "You know what? I should be a Clipper." There's going to be so much there would be so much speculation around that. Um is that going to happen? Who has, who knows? But I think that it makes a lot more sense. And I'm honestly wondering why there hasn't been more talk about it. Um, anyway, going into, going into game four on Sunday, do you feel like, do you feel like the Clippers have another punch in them or do you feel like this is pretty much done? You know, they, they had their awesome moment in game two and now let's, the, the Warriors are ready to get going and, and face probably Houston in the next round, which is going to be probably a much tougher test. I don't think the Clippers are a typical first round uh, eighth seed, you know, punching bag. Just, OK, give a give a nice fight and then lay down. I think from what we've seen so far and what, what Doc Rivers has, has said talking about his team, this is a kind of an unusual team. They're unusually scrappy and they have a lot of confidence in themselves. So I don't think they're going to go down easy, but. The fact is the, the the Warriors have found themselves and they are really determined. And one thing they don't want to do, they really don't want to stretch this out into like a six or seven game series. That would just, it would be stupid on a lot of levels for them. It would be really destructive um, physically, for, if nothing else. They, they just don't want to have to play another game against these guys. They got to save everything they can in the tank for the, for the next round. So they're going to be determined. I don't think that we're going to see any more blown 31 point leads let's put it that way well thanks scott for joining me it's been fun having you in la um always always good to have you on the road with me and uh and we'll uh, we'll definitely do this after game four thanks connor and let's go out again and uh, bring la to its knees i want to thank scott osser for joining me on this week's podcast it's always good chatting warriors with someone who has followed the team as long as he has Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. 
Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.